Welcome to the Good Bad Mad podcast, a show that's here to share the ins and outs of creative careers, connecting the aspirational with the experienced, with your host, me, Meg Ellis. My final guest for 2021 is actress Sherelle Skeet, notable for her work as Rose Granger Weasley in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and Hannah. She's also co-founder of the community group Blacktress UK. We chat through her journey into acting and what she has learned from the industry to date. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Sherelle. Good morning. Morning. Hi, how are you doing? How's life treating you? I feel very grateful. I feel like when it gets to this time of year, I just I just feel very reflective. Like mm. it's obviously it's been a challenging year for us all. Um, but I'm able to wake up every day. Got my little cat here. You know, there's there's a lot of things to be grateful for. I think literally that's that's what gets us through when it's well, guess what gets me through when it's when it becomes challenging, you know. Um, well, perfect just, time for a podcast yeah. about your career then. <laughs> we love <laughs> <some> reflection. <laughs> yeah, talking of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for one um joining us and and exploring your your history I don't I don't know how much you know about what we do so essentially we're, we're all about sharing creative experiences and creative um, careers to try and help get rid of some of those cloaks and daggers that mm-hmm. there are in the industry and um, yeah just to just talk really and, and share some experiences because so yeah it, it can be a tricky little road sometimes um so that's kind of the podcast we talk to different people we talk to actresses we talk to lighting designers and cinematographers and all all sorts of things to try and get a bigger picture of how the industry works wicked I can do that awesome awesome so let's start at the very beginning um when did you kind of first think you were going to go into a creative role I think I've always loved performance I didn't know that I was going to be an actor per se. I actually thought I was going to be a dancer. Mm. Uh, yeah, my mom, my mom said the same thing as well. Like I really thought, you know, I was going to, the goal was to be a dancer. I was going to study um, contemporary dance at Northern School of Contemporary Dance in Leeds. Mm-hmm. And, and then eventually I was going to transition and doing commercial dance and dance for like Missy Elliott and like all of my favourite artists at the time. Um, but when I had a dance group in Birmingham, I then realised that I really was interested in, like, I suppose, narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, like I could sing, I could dance. Um, and then acting kind of came out of just wanting to have add words um, to what I was doing and really enjoying reading stories. And I don't think I was reading a lot of plays. I think it was more like. I'm trying to think what was I I can't remember what I was into it feels like such a haze you don't realize that that these are kind of like that that at the time they're like landmark kind of changing points that happen it's only in reflection you're like oh yeah um but I think it was going to study a levels and then really falling in love with language with um that's when I kind of got the opportunity to study plays a lot more and really loving um a raisin in the sun mm. and at the time I think I got to watch it at the Belgrade theatre with um Noma Dumaswani and Lenny James and I was just like blown away I think it was the play that I watched that just brought me like I just was like completely 
gobsmacked by the emotion. Yeah. Got it. I just really, really connected to it. And this was an, you know, it's an African-American play. And then I got to learn about the playwright and that she was like best friends with Nina Simone. And I just was like, oh my gosh, these are like amazing, cool people that are creating. I mean, if that were me, I would just be like, I want to be best friends with Nina Simone. Clearly this is what I need to do. Yeah, I think it was like knowing that all of these really, really in interesting, powerful people of the time, you know, they were activists and they were artists and they all knew each other. Mm. And I just thought, wow, like, if people can come together for a cause, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, it's a play and it's a play. And then you kind of, when you then kind of strip it away and you understand where the play came from and when the play, um, why it was written, mm -hmm. it then kind of hits you at another level, which you can feel it anyway, like depending on, you know, what, what it is that you're, what the, the piece of, the piece of, um, art that you're consuming it feels really for that particular time or you know and I think I was just really blown away by that and I just yeah just kind of got really geeky mm. became like a proper theatre geek and was like researching the backgrounds of these people um, and then Nina Simone who knew Maya Angelou who knew James Baldwin and just this really incredible time of of, of art mm. um, and yeah I had my dance group was trying to figure out whether I wanted to study dance or not. And then, I don't know, I found this course, which had a movement background, which was acting. And I was like, oh, you can kind of dance your way into acting, um, which was the CDT course, the Collaborative and Devised Theatre course at um, Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. And then that was it really. I think that was the, the way through. And also like, I come from a very like community arts based background so it was always you're, you're a Brummie girl aren't you I am I am Brummie through and through so yeah the community network there in terms of the arts is like it's a proper lifeline mm -hmm. um for a lot of people and yeah like there were so many opportunities for me as a young person to just like test things out you know just try things out write about what's happening to me and then just perform it whether it was like some kind of open mic or like carnival or whatever. There was always an opportunity for me to share with my dance group. There was always an opportunity for me to experiment. And then, um, yeah, it was very, very supportive. And then that led me to go to have a conservatoire training, which was like a massive culture shift. Yeah. You know, moving to London and everything. And then after that, I was like, oh yeah, I think I can do this. You know, it wasn't like a, this is what I'm going to do since I was five years old. I always wanted to be an actor. It wasn't that for me at all. It was like, oh, let me just try this. It was more like, let me try it out and see how this fits. And let me do what, what is necessary to tell the story. So mm. here I am. That's it, it, really. it sounds like you've, got, you've done quite an organic um, journey and trying to find those kind of three big whammies of like dancing, singing and acting all at once, but like, always quite naturally not quite <laughs> stage school kid you know mm. yeah I think it's always been about like what is gonna what is the best way for me to learn because I'm, I'm dyslexic as well so I didn't find out I was dyslexic until I was at drama school mm. but I knew that I had a different way of learning like I knew that I love to read but I knew that I read very very slowly compared to the rate of other people yeah so I was like oh I know that being an actor is really studious, 
And I, I feel like I, I, I can study things, but I do it in a way that is not necessarily average. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it might what's take your me way bit. of approaching plays then? Um, I'll have to read them out loud. Or sometimes, like, even when I'm, like, learning lines and stuff, I have to, like, put them in my body. Mm-hmm. It has to be less about me being in my head and literally finding where it lives in my body. That's always the way. And what, I sometimes forget that. Um, sometimes I have to write it out. It's very much a very practical way of me mm-hmm. absorbing any kind of material, really. Um, so I just was like, if I'm going to sit down in a lecture hall learning about, you know these um old dead white men I'm like oh god I've got to find a way where I'll be able to absorb it all in a in a more practical way Mm. (laughs) um so I was like yeah I can do movement and apparently you can do it through this course so yeah and then that was my way in really um mm -hmm. no it's mean I mean one it's true just sitting in a lecture hall trying to study plays is mind-numbingly boring but you do just need to get it up on its feet I mean dyslexia or or not that's kind of the part of it isn't it it's it's Mm. putting some life into these that's (laughs) exactly well that's what it is it's alive Mm. it's alive there's so many people that like when you speak to you know actors or certain writers and you're like so tell me about this part of the play or this thing that you did when you were on stage and I saw you did this thing what does that mean and they were like I don't know (laughs) it's just it just feels right Mm. um so that's basically it like I feel like everything that I've done I've just literally just followed my gut Mm. it's been more about following my gut following you know the thing that you know I'm kind of a a, a jump and the net will appear sort of person so I'm like if I just do this because I know that this is what is going to serve my life at the moment then everything else will fall into place so you went to central yeah you were there for how many years three three years and how how did that serve you that course do you know what it was an incredible training it was really really incredible like um it's a you know for me it was you know coming from inner city Birmingham being exposed to the arts, being able to come to London um, and having so many different plays where I saw I saw theatre that I wanted to make, that was, um, that was literally, I could travel to every single night, mm. was incredible for me. And um, I'm glad that, I'm glad that I took that leap. So yeah. Was it scary? The, yeah, absolutely. It was scary, you know, I'm, what am I in my late teens early 20s coming to a city I don't know anybody I didn't live with any students because I just thought "Mm, I'm here to just get my degree that's Mm. it like I was kind of militant in that respect I just thought I know that I really um yeah I just wanted to study and then and and do my thing that was it I was kind of very like that that was what I wanted to do so I was like I don't want to do any house shares I'm not even really interested in this student life. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to do my degree. That's it. Um, and yeah, it was it was a massive culture shock, just how fast, fast paced London moves. And also like London can be quite an isolating city. Like when you first move here, um, if you don't necessarily have your tribe, you don't have your people around you and you're trying to find people. Like I think I think it might even be harder now, obviously with lockdown and and then also, I didn't realise that I was um, 
so different. Mm-hmm. Like drama school is this weird bubble where people from up, literally up and down the country and from around the world come together to do this one course. Literally the only thing that is connecting you is a course. I mean, it's with anything, I suppose. But I think, you know, the, the way that they select people is based on you're building a company of people. So therefore you've got literally so many different types specifically in our class so many different types of people so I know for me I was coming out of a place where it's Birmingham it's a melting pot it's quite a working class city Mm -hmm. so for me I was then introduced to classism there was definitely a different type of racism that I was used to as well I was like the racism I was used to back in Birmingham Mm. was like you know the the EDL NF kind of in your face type of working class racism Mm -hmm. the racism I was exposed to in um, drama school was that of I don't know like saying mean things but smiling in my face like I I didn't I didn't understand it I was like I don't know how to respond right now because this is all kind of put in a sense Mm -hmm. of like banter or laughter or you're kind of I don't know how to respond because I want to I want to be angry but at the same time like yeah and that then at the time I realized these are like microaggressions yeah so it was about kind of understanding that it was definitely a a, a lesson learned around people as well like the degree is the course and then the degree is also you know learning to navigate spaces where you know difference is just so loud but then you're you feel like it's a safe space to, to safe space to to explore your difference but I, th- I think for me, there were parts of me that I felt like I had to leave behind. It didn't feel 100% safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, since then, I've had to learn what I need to make myself feel safe. Um, you know, go, having having gone through three years, I think, you know, with, with last year's BLM protest, it brought up a lot of things for, you know, specifically across drama schools with a lot of like black and brown students. Um, it brought up a lot of traumas for people Mm. which you know a lot of historical cases came up where people then felt you know now was the time to speak about things because you know a lot of these drama schools were saying they were aligning with the BLM movement but Mm. weren't kind of listening to what was happening on home turf um so yeah it's 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 it feels like whenever I speak to any of uh, any of my friends you know even recently like we're still kind of processing that time um it was clearly it's only three years but it's three years Mm. it really impacts your life you know it's 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 a very important time of of transition of like building the type of artist that you're going to be and also the things that you want to say as an artist and uh, you know I definitely left drama school feeling a lot more infuriated which kind of it made me more driven on honesty. Drama school when um, the idea of like Black Trust UK kind of started coming about. I think so, probably. Yeah, I think definitely it, it made me understand because the the difference in terms of uh, my gender and how my gen being in a space where I you know being black and woman um, in that space and what how that kind of framed part of my experience mm-hmm. where I knew that my experience would be slightly different of that of a black man and then coming out into the industry and then seeing what that looked like for people 
of a different gender, you know, or kind of how, just understanding how then that played out within, you know, me building a career mm-hmm. and then speaking to other black women and kind of seeing similarities or patterns across generations. So within my, within my generation, younger, as well as, you know, those that have been working a lot longer. And then it was through, I suppose, good practice. It was actually doing the show of Amen Corner where Marion Jean-Baptiste, Sharon D. Clark, um, Cecilia Noble, Angela, Angela Winter, um, all these incredible, you know, established uh, black British actors, you know, we're all in this space together and I'm seeing them not only be talented and hardworking, but also seeing them in their power, the power, knowing that they have the power to say no mm-hmm. and that they deserve to say yes to themselves first. And, you know, how, how we look after ourselves in order to also serve the peace as well. Um, I think there's this kind of culture that has, uh, you know, I definitely blame, blame drama schools where it's about kind of being subservient to, you know, this hierarchy um, oh, yeah, they, they teach you to fit into the industry rather than kind of adapt it as you go along. There we go. And I think that has been dangerous, especially for young people, mm-hmm. where, you know, now we speak about care. And because ultimately that's what Blattress is about. Like we started to look at the, the question of how do we take care of ourselves in spaces that haven't been built for us? How do we how do we not only survive, but how do we thrive? How do we take lessons from previous generations um, who have, you know, been in, been doing this for like 20, 30, 40 years, some of these pioneering actresses, how do we learn from them and how do we improve on the things? So how do we not necessarily have to experience some of the things that they've experienced? So then that, that's the whole thing of care, which is intersectional because now, you know, past, post all of this, post me too movement now we're asking the questions in terms of process mm. so these are things that we've been looking at from the from 2017 with blattress and even way before then because there's been spaces for you know black women black and brown women working class women where we've been you know the, the first step was just about employment mm. um, that was the first step getting into employment you know being noticed you know feet you know actresses just being able to work and not just being a wife you know formulating characters that are you know, uh, uh, standalone, incredible, uh, complex, messy, layered, interesting female characters, you know, the visibility of queer, female, non-binary, non-conforming characters. So the first step was about, you know, em- em- you know, being employed. Okay, now we're employed. What are the things that we need? Okay, now we're talking about hair. Do we feel like when we put in on tights, whose tights are we having to color them in? When we're wearing underwear, do we have to wear someone else's underwear and color it in? Mm. You know, now we're talking about makeup. Are we cared for when we're in those spaces where we're employed and we kind of tick a box? You know, now when we're in those spaces, are we a sidekick or are we a central character? What in the representation? Because we talk about that. Obviously, that's the first step. Yes, but it, it is not the the you know as we say, it's not the um it's not the be all and end all in terms of how, you know, when we talk about inclusivity and us working together and it being a dialogue. But first of all, I think Blattress was about kind of having a space to just celebrate who we were without having to feel like we have to justify to anyone like, oh yeah, but I need this or, oh yeah, but you know, I'm a bit different in this. It's just about just being really mm-hmm. um, and having workshops, celebrating, celebrating the work that we've done that hasn't necessarily been celebrated by the mainstream. Um, 
so there's this there's this incredible actor called um Alfre Woodward and she's she's done a lot of work in Hollywood and every year for I think it's been decades now maybe um she's had a t- a, a dinner where she celebrates black women in Hollywood every year mm-hmm. um, and all of the women across Hollywood they appear schedules and they sit down and they see each other and they say okay we know that your performance was award-winning but you didn't get noticed but we see you and it doesn't matter that the mainstream or these other spaces don't see you, but we see you first mm. because you represent us as well. Because when mm. you do well, I do well. Um, you know, when we look at, um, you know, actors, the first the first Black British act- actress in this country to be nominated for like a, I think it was an Oscar or Golden Globe. Don't quote me, but it's an, either an Oscar or a Go- Golden Globe. It was Marianne Jean-Baptiste. And I didn't know that. Um, I thought it was Sophia Canedo. Mm. Uh, but you know and then what happens is we get into this thing this is the first this this is the first that and actually we shouldn't be celebrating that like it we've it's yes okay yes we celebrate each landmark but we 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 it it, what happens is there's an erasure of history Mm. as well um so yeah it's about kind of being able to look at where we've come from, look at where we are, and also make steps and, and forward waves for moving things forward. Like we've, you know, Blattress has been important to just have really difficult and important conversations. Um, you know, building confidence. I think what can happen as well is for a lot of people that when you're in a space or an, an environment where you're receiving messages where maybe you're not important then you start to absorb it and believe it Mm. so even when you do have the opportunities you know maybe you do get the part that you really wanted and stuff sometimes it can be even challenging to step into that or not knowing when you're in that space what you know the the I know something that I've struggled with is imposter syndrome you know kind of questioning should I even be here does someone like me fit in a place like this or you know because I am the first you know that's the message I'm getting I'm the first and maybe I might be the last you know for the next 10 years Mm. so then there's this incredible pressure of like I can't I can't fuck it up do you know what I mean like where I don't know if that same pressure is put on people who are not black in the same way or you know or not queer or whatever whether you're you're you know a minority because you know that you're very aware that you're or you feel like you're a minority in that respect um therefore you don't want to mess it up for other people that are coming after you so you're yeah that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself (laughs) yeah it's a lot it's a lot of pressure and actually to have the space to talk about that pressure Mm. you know with people who also feel it and to be like actually it feels like that it's not necessarily the case because actually the proof that we have that that people have come before us and that that we are thriving is Mm. here which is why it's important to celebrate that's why we celebrate because then it means that when you're in those positions when you're in those spaces when you've got the 17 year old Sherelle what at the Belgrade theatre watching Noma Dumaswini not thinking a few years later I'm going to get to play her daughter it makes it possible I know that I'm not the first even though when I'm playing playing a character like that in Harry Potter when I'm faced with the outrage of people thinking that we shouldn't be playing those parts. Mm. I know that I'm not the first. And I know that I have, I've come with a community. It's literally like that. 
that scene in um, Hidden Figures mm. when Taraji P. Henson's character is able to sit at the table with, you know, all of these white men. Mm. She's got her whole community with her. It's not just her. She might feel alone, but she's not. She's mm. not actually alone. She, you know, the next, you know, further on down the hall, there's a whole room of like 50 other women that have kind of trained her, supported her. Mm. She's leaned on them. They've leant, leant on her when they've had to face the obstacle of being invisible mm. or feeling invisible or feeling as though you're not good enough. Um, and it, it, it gears you up. So when that, when opportunities do come your way, you're able to see them um, and you're feeling that level of um, just support, man. Everyone needs support. How would someone get involved with Batches UK if, they, if they're looking to be a part of it? Yeah, so this year it's been a kind of stop starting with mm-hmm. most things because of COVID. Um, we were meant to have our our first and final in 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 a person activity um, last week Monday actually, but because of the because of COVID, it didn't feel responsible to take people into the space. Yeah. It was going to be at the bush. There, so yes. Um, so if you if you identify as black woman or femme um of the african diaspora please like get involved join join our mailing list if you don't identify in that way um then and you are you're a friend of black trust please also join our mailing list Mm -hmm. um, because we have workshops and we also have events curated for which are open to everybody as well so we've got plans and things coming up next year which hopefully we'll announce towards the beginning of the next quarter the first quarter of next year Mm -hmm. which is literally what few days away (laughs) less than two weeks away 22 is on our door 2022 is on our doorstep so um yeah please get involved because um it's not just about us doing our thing in the corner it's about everyone being involved in the conversation um and yeah like we just want to have a a intersectional approach to the work that we do and you know we're the thing that we're looking at is you know access we want to be more accessible specifically like looking at um deaf and disabled and neurodivergent um creatives and how you know that's that's a conversation that i'm interested in um along you know like we say we want to keep it intersectional we're, we're talking about mental health um we won our first award this year we got a recognition award from uh theater minds theater minds yes industry minds sorry Industry Minds UK, we got a recognition award and they're an incredible platform and support for uh, raising awareness of mental health for mm. within the theatre industry. Uh, we're very proud of that. So yeah, it's um, get involved, join our mailing list, follow us on Instagram, Blattress underscore UK on the Twitter, on the Instagram, and sometimes we pop up on Facebook. Mm. but we mainly on Instagram and have a just a little look at some of the things that we, we do we want to continue getting involved with um doing ticket offers with theatres and bringing our elders in which is the sage club um reaching out to our local communities doing fundraisers for charities um we're running workshops and hopefully doing like maybe some screenings of some of the bits and pieces that we've been doing on zoom we'll get to share some of the things we've been doing over the past what is it 18 months almost you might as well call it two years now isn't it is yeah but talking about that kind of time where you're um emerging from drama school and kind of getting into your first roles you're you're starting in in theatre essentially aren't you um 
how how are you facing that transition time and I was so desperate to leave oh my gosh I was so desperate to leave Meg I was like get me out of this place yeah because third year everyone goes a little bit nuts because everyone's thinking the same thing there's this anxiety of like oh my god now it's real now it's like now or never and you think that you know the first role that you do you have to be you know that's the thing that's going to make me a star you know (laughs) and it's like it's it's about building something solid um as you know now we know it's about building something solid and gradual over years and years and years Mm. um but yeah so I, I went and got my headshots um I think I got a bunch of postcards done as well so because I was like oh um they're going to be quite easy to send out to ca- uh, casting directors and to agents um so I got some yeah, postcards which had my headshot on it and then I wrote like little notes on the back and then that's what I posted out um yeah. whenever whenever I was inviting people to things as well I think I even got business cards as well I think I got the whole package from Vista Print. Um, <laughs> I love a bit of station with me mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> I think I got the whole package and um had all my little stationery sets set up and I would do my write my my um I did yeah my write-up to sending them out to you know casting directors and to agents and stuff and I think I just sent them out to I think I had a list of all my favorite actors at the time and I looked at who their agents were because I didn't know what was a good agent I didn't yeah. know um and i you know I just sent them all out um I managed a friend of mine I managed to get my first team no my first theatre job actually my final um term of drama school so I actually got to leave a term early um which was yeah that was great and that I didn't I wasn't represented by anybody I was represented by care of spotlight so that's to say that you know don't always think that it's going to it's necessarily about getting everything all at once mm. um, in the third year. Um, so I let, I let people know that, like, I was care of Spotlight, um, my first, my first theatre role, which was at the Fimbra Theatre, it was And Iron Silence. Yeah, so I was marked on that professional role. And then I think when I had, we had Showcase, mm-hmm. um, which I got to do. And I, because I didn't have any interest from Showcase at all um you know you kind of so awkward people checking their headshots to see how many were taken and how many people have taken my cvs and I was like oh no one's taken mine Ah." so I think I just made a list of people that I knew had attended some of the shows that I'd done earlier on in the year third year and who would come to watch and showcase and then a culmination of again of my favorite actors agents as well Mm -hmm. and just wrote to people and some people came I think I got two meetings and then I signed with Olivia Bell and I've been with them ever since. <laughs> That's a pretty good one to start off. <laughs> yeah, I've been with my my, my agents, um, yeah, since having left drama school. So um, they've been with me on my whole career. So, yeah. So you do your first kind of couple of professional roles. You're getting your mm-hmm. feet, you're making your way. When, when do you start thinking about moving into TV? Oh gosh, what, what what was it? I think it was straight away that conversation came up. Like, mm-hmm. and this is this is where I've learned what a good agent has been for me. It's been about, first of all, you know, we spoke about the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. It's about actually forgetting there's a hierarchy and knowing that we everything that we're doing is collaborative. 
and it's the course that I've done we all need each other we have this platform which hopefully connects artists Mm -hmm. you know that we're talking right now that people feel supported by what we're talking about and they're learning something and that they're enjoying the storytelling of it and at the same time I get to it's a platform for me to share so everything that we're doing it's collaborative as opposed to who is more important than whoever yeah so what was amazing was when I first sat down with my agent they were like Sherelle what do you want to do don't say you want to do everything don't say say that say what do you want to do if you want to go off to a certain part of Europe and just run around and do puppetry and that's what you want to do okay let's try and figure that out if you say that you only want to do soaps and you want to be on Corrie like next year okay let's work towards that but it was about having us a suppose a a roundabout goal so that we could work actively work towards that so it would affect the way that they then the, the things they put me up for who they got me to see you know who they put me in the room with um you know the r&ds that i did you know it, what, it affected what did you sorry say? what did you say to them um i think i said that i was really interested if i was going to do musicals that it would be a sh- you know really special ones like I know I really love The Lion King and I really love Colour Purple. Audition for Colour Purple was in The Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That's Um, pretty great. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I said that, you know, I really would love to do some TV, screen, films. Um, I said that I loved theatre because I was so obsessed with, um, you know, having watched A Raisin in the Sun, which was like my spark moment. Yeah, the um, rain Hansbury. So I was like, I want to do like I love American theater. So I would love to do African American theater. Um, that was like my favorite term ever. At you know, whilst I was at drama school, I just came alive with like the history and mm. just the language. Um, so I think I spoke a lot about you know American uh, African American theater. Um, I think what else? I think I did mention some Shakespeare. Um, new writing workshops. I really loved devising so I really enjoyed going and just experimenting for a week with you know whatever which for me was my whole experience of first doing Harry Potter like it yeah. was a whole workshop you literally throw carrying people on your back and <laughs> were you were you part of the R&D um yeah yeah you were. Oh, that's amazing yeah. I didn't know that yeah so we workshopped a lot of some of the magic tricks and um you know just getting to know people and figuring out who these characters were Mm. and the world that we were creating like you know we have such a fixation on what we've seen in the films but how are we going to put some of some of that world on stage you know whatever so it was just great just proper theater making like we've got not got a lot but we've just got an empty space so for me I just I was like I was like yeah I like a bit of puppetry yeah I like a bit of devising yeah like I like to kind of ask questions and try and figure things out. Um, so that's still- Even though they said, don't say everything, you said everything. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, you know, a lot of people think that, oh yeah, you've got to decide once you've reached this point in your career, that's when you can decide. And I think, no, I think it, it was about being kind of, even just sending ideas of like the type of shows that you wanted to be in. Yeah. I think I definitely, I always wanted to do screen stuff. Um, so my first TV role, well, actually my first screen role was doing the Helmer's Mayonnaise advert, which had my mum very excited. That was it. It was the, the Helmer's Mayonnaise advert, I think probably might even be the, the career highlight for my mum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. 
it's bragging rights isn't it like your parents your family they've got to have bragging rights and that's the thing that was coming on I think it was on for like two years um yeah so um that was my first screen bit <laughs> and then I think and then my first kind of tv role was um a guest role in call the midwife which was amazing I love yeah. that show that yeah <laughs> it's beautiful how did you yeah. feel about kind of making that transition from theater to screen Oh, it was scary because I remember having, because in my final term, I was then doing a professional show mm. when my classmates were then studying screen acting. That was when I'd left. Yeah. Uh, so I was a bit kind of a bit like, oh, I don't know what to do. And but they were amazing. It was just about trusting, trusting the work and the preparation that I'd done um, and listening to my director. Um, yeah like what what it's just about truth it's just that actually the the performance is for here as opposed to you know what would I have been used to at that point I think I'd already done I'd done Lion King so I was I was I performed in, in you know, <laughs> a massive yeah massive front on uh stage you know yeah. big theatres and as well as doing you know Fimbra so I just had to think like imagine what you're doing at the Fimbra theatre Mm. but you know it doesn't make the emotions any smaller it, they're still big emotions especially with call the midwife you know mm. what she's going through um but yeah it was just nerve-wracking but they were so supportive so patient um what was amazing with that because we were my character had to give birth yeah so they were so supportive a lot of the actors on that show especially the actresses that played the, the nuns mm. the uh, these are like stellar um set of women who have you know walked the boards for decades and um you know they always say that the best the best actors are theatre performers anyway the best actors for screen are theatre performers because yeah. like yes they have terrible diction a lot of these people they think they could just you know it's brilliant so I would just sit and listen to their stories about the good old days like back in the 70s and um you know what they'd gone through and stuff like that so um Pam Ferris is amazing um yeah it was an incredible incredible experience and I got to work my, my um screen husband Kadeef Kerwin who I was at drama school with as well <laughs> yeah yeah that's lovely says, actually that's quite special yeah and we both left drama school at the same time because he went off to do sister act the tour mm. and I was in yeah the little old Fimbra out the road um, from the Swiss, from Swiss Cottage so it was really nice to kind of my first screen experience was, was with somebody that I knew um, and it yeah it was great because we we already you know we already were mates so it's like okay we can talk about our characters and stuff like that yeah I think I think there's this this common conception that your first job or you're new to something you've got to know everything you've got to be completely perfect and completely in control but I think yeah. it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier where you've just got to rely on the collaborative experience you've got to rely on other people's um experience as well that's it and just like yeah like you get to build this world together and know that I think that was an important uh experience for me to learn even just that there were so many more different roles so there's a focus puller and that there's a boom operator mm. and there's a whole sound department so you just can't be you know when you're rehearsing you're rehearsing for yourself but also so other people can do their jobs mm. um and again like you say it's collaborative so trusting and knowing that 
um, you know, trying, you know, still finding the explorative, you know, the workshop element of, of what you're doing and just, just knowing that there's now 50 other people that you're collaborating with. So yeah. it's about you, but it ain't really about you. It's about us. Yeah. And that, that kind of takes the pressure of it off it. If you, t- if you, de- if you take yourself out of it, Mm. It, it helps take the pressure off it it's like okay I'm gonna do the best that I can do with my part of the storytelling um you know and and then everything else you know we'll we'll we've just got to figure out together is is your process for kind of preparing um for stage and screen different or, or are they inherently quite the same I'm, I'm going to say that they're the same, but obviously the, the thing that usually changes things is time mm. um, and rehearsal. Obviously with, with screen, you get less rehearsal. Um, you have less time to kind of build chemistry. With, with the, um, the first TV job we did, because we were working with an actual new, with newborn babies, we had rehearsal. Um, so it was great to be able to work with, a mid, with an actual consultant midwife um who kind of talked through what would happen when the baby was on set and what would have happened during those times that was a very I know that to have that space was is quite rare Mm. so that that was quite um so people telling how unusual that is for tv yeah and so I was just like great this is brilliant because I love rehearsal so this is perfect for me um I'd say that what would I say is, is different it's a yeah it's, it's more truncated I suppose you have it's it it feels like you have to turn up you have to kind of turn up with ready to go hmm. with tv like you've kind of done all of your work at home obviously because you you don't really get rehearsal you have to have done all of your work at home it feels quite um it's a bit more isolating in that respect unless you're working with um you know you're doing you're doing fight choreography or you know then if there any kind of rehearsal element that you get with other people is great but majority of the time you're having to do a lot of that research and ask questions unless you know you speak to the writer or the director or whatever but it's quite isolated hmm. um and then you're having to make or you're having to make very quick decisions on the day with the person who you are, who's going to be your lover for the day Mm. um but I would say that ultimately it's the same in terms of you know the commitment yes Mm. um I think with with tv um yeah you have to make those clear decisions make those bold decisions a lot quickly um yeah that's how it feels Maybe ask me in like ten years' time, and I'll have something else <laughs> well, to this say. This is it. it it's this is it's this all on I'm your journey. Learning. You know, it it everything changes. Everything changes day by day. You just kind of got to go with it. That's it. That's it. And like you know, we've had to adjust. Especially, it's been interesting filming something during a pandemic. Mm. Like most of most of filming Hannah. And all of Midwich Cuckoos has been film, filmed during a pandemic. So we've had to adjust to, you know, sitting, be- talking to your, your castmate between a piece of plastic and, you know, in different bubbles and, 
yeah like that sense of isolation has definitely increased like mm. before before that you know you would have gone on cast meals and you would have had more social things to kind of get to know the your colleagues but it's literally now you turn up on set and that's that's is it that, has that been quite tough yeah it has been challenging because I don't know part of what we do we're such social creatures we're social creatures as human beings I feel like we're hyper social creatures mm. as creatives um where we like to be with each other um so to not be with each other and then to do sometimes quite difficult challenging work where you know you want to have these conversations where you, you feel you feel quite limited or you're like oh gosh I've got to squeeze in an illegal hug here or <laughs> yeah. have an illegal conversation you know where you know we're not yeah it, it it feels that's hard that's hard um I think it was challenging filming we were filming in Prague earlier this year and there was a curfew in Prague and um where you have to be in before you have to be off the streets before um, nine o'clock because mm. then you get into trouble after after that so this was around the time when London was starting to open back up yeah so I'm seeing all my friends starting to go out on social media I'm like oh. so we'd be doing like you know these long days and then you can't then go and have a cup of tea with with you know your mate or um have dinner or you know you had to then just stay in your apartment until you were then going to be working so having that work-life balance when you're filming and you're away from friends and family is so much more important for your mental health this is what I was talking about in terms of care mm. and then we realized that oh what we're doing as artists is in order to be the best that we can be at the art that we do we also have to look after the the vessel the the mm. art the 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 yeah we have to care for ourselves how do we care for ourselves and that was that was like a really 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 important thing when you like you say when you're taken out of your environment you know if you're in isolation with people that you like or you're isolating with people or you know um but to be in isolation and to work at the same time um obviously the funnest bit was being on set but yeah. it yeah to do that for a you know for quite a long period of time became quite challenging um especially like towards the, it was towards the last bits of winter just the start of summer sorry start of spring so the 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 days were still there wasn't a lot of sunlight there wasn't a lot of daylight um so that was hard yeah was challenging yeah what what advice would you give someone who who kind of wants to pursue an acting career what advice would I give to someone who wants to pursue an acting career? Mm. I would say follow your creativity and the, the, because it's going to be challenging. You've got to, you know, it's kind of those kind of stereotypical things of like, you have to also believe in yourself first. You have to have absolute self-belief because your environment might tell you otherwise mm -hmm. and you have to believe in yourself. I would say find your tribe find your tribe of people that when you feel like you're getting setbacks and knockbacks and stuff that you can kind of go there and they will understand you and you will have to explain yourself and they will help you, you know, patch you up and then push you back out there again, you know? So find your tribe. Your tribe isn't necessarily the people that are conveniently around you. You might have to actively have to go out there. Um, friends and family can be supportive. Sometimes they can also not be. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm saying that as in like, you know really rethink what a tribe is for you 
um, your sense of community. Community is, is your strength and liberation. It's going to really help you when you're when you're ch- when you're having your your icky days. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say when I say find your tribe, I also mean like that's your your team. So if you're at the point where you're you're looking for an agent, um, you know these are people that are going to champion you. When you're in bed and you're having a bad day and you're sleeping, you're having a lie-in, these are people that are going to be fighting for you on your behalf. So you want to make sure that they're the right people. So um, take the time that it takes and be honest with the things that, what it is that you want um, as well, that from the very, very, very get-go. Um, even when it's challenging, choose joy. Choose joy because um those are the spaces as well through those challenges where we grow we you know we think that you know when you're like oh I want to get this life-changing role that's gonna bring me so much everything but you don't know the the steps that you've got to go through in order to Mm -hmm. get there because it ain't going to be easy um it's gonna you know uh, you know each part of the journey you know is gonna show you a different part of yourself so enjoy each step even even the painful bits Mm -hmm. and um yeah just keep telling stories we, we we need it you know I think that the importance of that has definitely been highlighted as if for people who aren't artists we we all knew but like when we sat down and we're talking about binge watching this and binge watching that and then everything's come to a halt because things aren't able to be in production yeah. um we're important don't devalue your art don't devalue don't think that a story doesn't deserve to be told every story deserves to be told every single story and also live your life live your life live your life life is good life is good so go and live your life I think we can be so caught up on the industry and the biz and you know that next job and all of that stuff like go go and fall in love and have your heart broken go and go when you get the chance go and travel go and see different parts of the country go on long walks go and be fascinated go and immerse yourself in nature go and watch a sunrise go and watch a sunset these are all things that ultimately are going to make you um, a more full-rounded human being there's nothing more irritating than just listen to someone just speak about work constantly it's so boring we have so much more to offer than that you're not just what you do so that's what I would say for anyone that wants to get into acting (laughs) yeah yeah definitely sure thank you so so much it's been so lovely chatting with you and you may have a lovely Christmas and you happy Christmas happy new year all the holiday cheer thank you for listening to this episode of the good bad mad podcast please subscribe to check out the next episode or leave a review if you liked it you can find us on instagram at goodbadmad or at goodbadmad.com for additional resources and information. See you next time.